You're listening to an Axe Church sermon. If you haven't heard of Axe Church before, we are a church in Camas, Washington. You can check us out at axecamas.org. You can see what we're about and what we're up to. We're glad you're listening today and hope you enjoy this sermon. This is not some cultural expression, okay? This isn't a group of people who's gotten together like a local PTA or fishing club or something like that. This is real. We're we're doing something that's real. I mean, we have fun together, but we understand that there's a purpose, an eternal purpose and a plan, okay? We have a place in the world and and something to do and that, that God has given us value, okay? We know what God has called us to do and we consider it real and serious, Okay? We know that God raised Jesus from the dead. We know that, and that is huge. We know that Jesus promised to forgive our sins and make us right with him if we'll follow him, and that is huge. And we have a commission from Jesus Christ, a purpose and a plan, and we're disciples. And so, kind of to start out today, what is a disciple? What's a disciple? Because that's not a word we use a lot. I don't use it a lot other than when we're talking in church, and so it can become one of those sort of churchianity, uh, Christianese words. And so I want to talk about what a disciple is. Uh, pastor named Jonathan Parnell defines a disciple as a worshiper, a servant, and a witness. A worshiper, a servant, and a witness. And what does that mean? Um, well, before we get there, let me start by taking you through kind of a quick recap of the book of Acts. Uh, for those of you who have been here for a while, we have been going through the book of Acts, studying through the book of Acts for, I think, somewhere in the area of two and a half years. Um, that sounds about right. Some of you have become grandparents in that time. Um, and we have eight chapters left of Acts. And by the way, no, for those of you, people have asked me this, no, we are not changing the name of the church from Acts Church to 1 Corinthians Church or whatever, when we get done with this and start studying another book, okay? There's a reason for calling ourselves Acts Church, and it's not because we only study the book of Acts, all right? Um, but we have been in the book of Acts for two and a half years. We've had some breaks. We've done some other things, but we've been in for a long time, okay? And we, uh, we have been through a lot. I'm going to kind of recap what we've been through, and then I'm going to tell you what we're going to do next. But today, I'm actually going to go backwards. So um, I know that's, you're going to be really happy about that. Uh, so here's the deal. The book of Acts, okay? This is a book that was inspired and breathed by the Holy Spirit and written by Luke, okay? Luke, the same guy that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in the Bible. Uh, Luke. Uh, and so Luke was a doctor. He was a companion of Paul. And he wrote a very clear and very concise, well, not that concise as you've seen for two and a half years, but very clear uh, history. Okay, Acts is about facts. Good job. Get a candy bar for him. He was quick on that. Acts is about facts. Okay, Acts is about history. It's about facts. And, and Luke runs through, okay, from the early church, basically from the resurrection of Jesus all the way to Paul being in Rome at the end of his missionary journeys. We, we take that whole piece of the church, okay? So 30-something years of church history is in Acts. And it starts... Early on, and we get Jesus with his disciples, and he tells them something. This is what he says in, in verse 180. He says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Okay? And so Jesus gives this, and then we have about 120 people on the day of Pentecost. Okay? The day of Pentecost. It's 50 days kind of after Jesus has risen. And we see... Uh, 3,000 people in one day 
join the church. It's the beginning of the church. It's, it's the Holy Spirit comes. There's these things that look like tongues of fire, and they, and they speak in these other languages. There's all these people there, and 3,000 people come to know Jesus that day, and the church just starts off with a bang, big bang. 3,000 people plus the 120 that were there, probably a lot more. Uh, then we saw Peter and John involved in healing a lame man, uh, and we got some persecution that came from sort of the religious leaders of the time. Uh, but even with that persecution, we saw the church grew, continued to grow. And then we saw some trouble within the church. You guys may remember some folks who were lying to the Holy Spirit, and God dealt with that. But even with that, the church continued to grow. It continued to get larger and larger, more and more people coming to follow Christ. Then we had Stephen, who was a deacon, one of the first deacons there, one of the seven, and he was martyred. They stoned him to death. And the people, because of the persecution that was coming, including killing people, they spread out into Samaria and Judea and all these areas, as Jesus said they would. They spread out, and the church continued to grow as they went out and brought the message of the gospel out, and more and more and more people came in to become Christ followers, okay? And so then we saw a guy named Paul on his way to Damascus, and has he meets Jesus on the way to Damascus, gets blinded, and he goes, Paul was this guy who was just breathing out threats and violence against the church. He was standing there when Stephen was stoned, being a witness for that. He was on his way. He was vehemently against the Christian church, a persecutor of the church, and Jesus came, and he had an, and he had an encounter with Jesus, and after that, Paul became a believer and himself was persecuted. Then we saw Peter take the good news of the gospel to the Gentiles, okay, those who weren't Jewish. Prior to this time, it had been only Jewish people who had come from that faith into Christianity. Peter takes the gospel to the Gentiles, the home of Cornelius, and again, we see the church continues to grow. And then we stayed through two missionary journeys of Paul, Paul with Barnabas and Paul with Silas, and the church continued to grow throughout the entire world throughout the entire Roman Empire at that time. And, and most recently, we've been studying the third missionary journey of Paul. And Lord willing, we're going to finish the book of Acts with Paul's arrest and his trip to Rome. And the right now, don't hold me to this, but right now the plan is to do the last eight chapters of Acts in two to three sermons. So we're going to do a lot. We're going to cover a lot. But this isn't one of them. Uh, this isn't one of them, okay? Um, the last message that we had in the book of Acts. We were in chapter 20, and we focused on a particular verse. It was verse 24 of chapter 20. It said this, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. That was the verse that we sort of camped on, and we were talking about it in terms of our calling our calling as believers, and the purpose that God has put in our lives. Now, each of you has a calling. Every one of you has a calling, a purpose, a plan that God has put in your life. Every Christ follower has one. And we talked through that, right? We, we use the word vocation. Now, you may have heard that in a couple contexts. I'm going to put it up on the screen. This is how it's defined. I think this is dictionary.com. Uh, it says, a particular occupation, business, or profession, calling, which is probably how you've normally heard the word vocation. 
Um, the next one, a strong impulse or inclination to follow a particular activity or career. Okay, maybe. But look at these last two because these are the ones that really sum up what vocation is from the believer's mindset. A divine call to God's service or to the Christian life, a function or station in life to which one is called by God. talks about the religious vocation, the vocation of marriage. Marriage is a calling. It's not a calling for everybody. But it is a calling, okay? There's different callings. The point here is, is that unlike those in the world who want to tell you that you are just a meat sack who is determined, in other words, has no choice, is determined to do the things that the little chemicals inside your body are forcing you to do, and there's nothing, there's no purpose, there's no plan, there's no order, you're just nothing. You're just part of the stuff. The universe is all there is or was or ever will be, and you're just an automaton or a robot, And that's all you are. Unlike that, the Bible has something very different to say about who you are and what your value is and what your purpose is. And the Bible says, in fact, you do have a value, that you're incredibly valuable. You are incredibly valuable. That's what the Bible says. And regardless of what you look like or how tall you are or or whether other people in your life have treated you like you have value, Scripture could not be more clear that you're valuable. You're so valuable that Jesus was willing to die for you. That's how valuable you are. And now that's pretty valuable that God would care enough about you to die for you. And so we understand that. And because he loves you so much and because you're so so valuable, he's given you a calling that is specific to you. Okay? To use the gifts that he's given you. Each one of you has been given gifts. We've talked about this before. Last time when we looked at this verse, we looked at it generally talking about persevering and not having fear and not being afraid and trusting God as we lived out the particular calling for our lives, the particular calling that you have as an individual that's specific to you, and every one of you has one, and it's your own. But we're going to get specific this time about a specific calling that the Holy Spirit through Paul references in this book, in this verse that we just read, and that's the call to evangelize. The call to evangelize. This is a call for everyone. Now, this, what does it mean to evangelize? It means to preach the gospel. Okay, did that help? Probably not. What is the gospel? The gospel is the good news that Jesus is alive. After his death on the cross, and that we can be right with God and that we can live forever with him. That's the simple gospel, okay, that there's forgiveness of sin, that there's grace. At the end of the day, to evangelize is to begin the process of making disciples. Now we have to come back to what we said earlier about disciples. What does it mean to make disciples? What does it mean? Okay, remember the definition is a worshiper, a servant, and a witness. A worshiper, a servant, and a witness. Let's take those three things. What's a worshiper? Pastor John Piper, um, he's in Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, and he says this, true worship is a valuing or a treasuring of God above all things. A valuing or a treasuring of God above all things. Now, what does that really mean? It means that there is nothing, now hear me right, Nothing, no thing, nothing more important to you, more valuable to you than God and your relationship with him. Nothing. Not 
this, not that, not that person, not this relationship, nothing that's more valuable or more important to you than God. That's what worshiping God looks like. Nothing is more valuable. It means that all of the other things that you value, you value because of the way that you feel about God and because you value God and because of your relationship with God. It means that you are in constant awe and thankfulness for every relationship and other thing that you have and your very life because you know that all of those things have come from God. That's what worship looks like. You owe everything to him. So that's worship. So first, a disciple is a worshiper. That's the way a disciple feels about God. Second, a disciple is a servant. What's a servant? According to J. Hampton Keithley III, and he's got three, a three after his name, so you know this is going to be good. Servanthood is the state, condition, or quality of one who lives as a servant. Further, a servant is first of all one who is under submission to another. For Christians, this means submission to God first, and then submission to one another. So, first a servant is a person who is in complete submission to God. Complete submission to God. And secondly, servant is someone who is in complete submission to others that God's called them to be in submission to. So, literally, a, a servant is someone serving the commands of our loving Father and the true needs of one another, serving the true needs of one another. That's what a servant looks like, okay? Servants are submissive. They serve. It's right there in the Word. They serve God, and they serve others because of their love for God, because they're a worshiper of God. They can also be a servant of God. It flows very naturally. If God's the most important, then we serve him, and if he's the most important, then we also serve the others who he's also made, and who he's made us to be in relationship with. Now, so what about a witness? Can I get a witness? There you go. That's what a witness is. No. Um, What's a witness? A witness is one who proclaims the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection and forgiveness of sins and the many things that God has done for him or her. A witness is someone who proclaims the gospel, the good news, and the many things that God has done in his or her life, right? Worshiper, servant, witness. That's what a disciple is, a worshiper, a servant, and a witness. Now, why is this important? Well, first it's important because for those of us who have been gloriously saved by Jesus Christ, we're called to be his disciples, worshipers, servants, witnesses. We're called to do that. If you've been saved, if you've come to the Lord, you're called to do that. The call is nothing less than all of that. All those things we just talked about, your call is nothing less than all of that. That's first. Okay? Um, And we're called to something else. Part of that, part of being a disciple, is that Jesus has given us another clear calling for the church and for every individual in it. We already studied that as I've, as I've already told you, that all disciples have different callings, right? Individual callings. There's different as the many people in this room, as the many people listening online who follow Christ. All over the world, every one of you is so individual. 
When you, when you are actually in the presence of Jesus, you are going to recognize just how individual you are and just how he's created you as the only one of you. And that's absolutely true. You have a specific calling and specific gifts. But there are some things that every single disciple of Christ is called to do. Every single one. Let's turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 28, if you've got your Bible. Starting in verse 18. You've heard this one before, I hope. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. We are all called to make disciples for Jesus Christ. All of us. It's not something for the people who are in full-time ministry, because we're all in full-time ministry if we're truly disciples, according to the definition I just gave. That's what your life is about. Every single one of us who is a Christ follower is called to make disciples. Now let's look again at what Paul said in Acts 20, 24, the verse that we dealt with last time that I read earlier. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. To testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Guess what? This isn't just Paul's calling. Okay? The ministry that Paul got from the Lord as far as testifying to the gospel of the grace of God, that ministry is everyone's ministry. Every Christ follower's ministry to testify to the gospel of the grace of God, to evangelize. Paul is saying that he's not going to be moved by chains. Remember, these people are saying, hey, chains away you, tribulation, trouble. All these things are coming. He says, I'm not going to be moved by those things. I'm not going to be moved by the hard times ahead. And he's talking both about for his individual mission that was just about Paul, who Paul was called to be in the way that he was called to do it. But he was also talking about the mission that's common to every one of you, the great commission that Jesus has commanded every disciple and all of us who follow him to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So that's you and that's me if we're disciples of Jesus Christ. We are to go, go into the world and make disciples, make worshipers, make servants and witnesses for Jesus. That's our call, okay? That's the work of evangelism. Now, this is the part that gets difficult, if it hasn't already been. This is the part that's hard and uncomfortable, and I'm speaking to myself and to all of us, okay? Our call is to evangelism. Our call is to make disciples. That means we have to do what Jesus has told us to do and go. We have to go. We have to move. It's action-oriented. We have to do something to make disciples, okay? And this is a message for any believer, but, but let me tell you something. This is definitely a message for the church in America and for Acts Church here in this room, okay? Right now, as a body, and, I'm, and I'll be the first to say that I'm on this list, we are not doing all that we ought to do to make disciples. We are not doing all that we ought to do to go, to evangelize, to bring the good news out, okay? Um, and I'm not saying none of you are making disciples for Christ. There's probably lots of you who are doing things in that area, but we're not where we need to be. And, and how do I know that? Because I can just look statistically at what's happening to the church, 
the American church in general. I can look statistically at the Western church in general, Europe, America, uh, you know, uh, North America and Europe. I can see that we're not making disciples like we ought to be making disciples. In fact, what we're doing is we're, we're putting ourselves into groups and we're cutting, cutting off other people and we're sort, of, we're sort of getting in the bomb shelter. We have our friends, we have our acquaintances, we have our folks, and we're not going and making disciples. We're not, as a church in general, okay? I'm not speaking to any individual person and telling you that you're not doing it. I'm just saying, as a church in general, we're not doing it. Now, part of the reason for this is that I don't think we understand the call. We don't see the seriousness of the call to evangelize and to make disciples. And I don't think we know how to execute that call. I don't think we know how to do it. And I will take responsibility for both of those things as to this room, but we're going to fix that this morning. We're going to fix that this morning. First, I want to talk about the importance of the call to evangelize, okay? What Paul's talking about here, that he's willing to face anything, anything to go and fulfill this call, this ministry that God's given him, this ministry that God's given you, okay? Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What are wages? Wages are what we earn for our work, right? And the work of sin earns the wages of death. The work of sin earns the wages of death. That means that everyone in the world, every person in the world right now has earned some wages, and those wages are death. Every single person has sinned. Everyone has knowingly disobeyed Everyone has knowingly disobeyed God, knowingly done things that they knew that were, they were wrong to do. And if, if you're in this room and you don't think that's true of you, let me just tell you, you're lying to yourself and doing it right now. Okay? Everyone has sinned. Now, because of that, every single human being would be separated from God but for the second part of that passage, right? The beautiful part of that passage. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's amazing news. And here's the thing. And I want you to think seriously about this. I want you to have faces in your mind as I say this. Your family and your friends and your coworkers and the people in your neighborhood and in your apartment complex and at Starbucks and wherever you go, any of these people who have not believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ are spiritually dead. And if they don't turn to Jesus and believe on his name, they will be dead forever and separated from God forever. Don't let anybody tell you that there's no hell. Don't let anybody tell you that there's nothing bad coming. It's not true. These people, hopefully those faces that the Lord's bringing to your mind right now, those people that don't know him, they are dead. And death is all they'll ever know if they don't call on the name of Jesus Christ. Do you care? Let me ask it this way. Would I be able to tell that you cared and that you took that seriously if I was to watch your actions throughout the week? I can tell you that for me, I'm not sure that I would pass that test. Romans 10, 10 uh, verse 10 through 17. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? 
And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing. How will they hear? All these faces, all these people that I just talked about, how will they hear if you don't preach to them? They're not here, right, for me to preach to them. So how will they hear if you don't preach to them? But what if I'm not a preacher? Can you talk? If you can talk, you can do the kind of preaching we're studying here. You can tell people about Jesus. You can tell people about what he's done in your life. You can tell people that he's risen from the dead. That's, all, that's preaching. That's preaching. That's the kind of preaching we're talking about here. Mark 6, 15 through 16 says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Listen, there are people in your life right now, there are people all over the world right now that will be condemned because they will not choose Jesus. But we are called to make disciples. That means we're to speak the truth and love about Jesus. We're to preach the gospel. In verses 26 and 27 of that last chapter we studied in chapter 20 of Acts, it says this, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. We talked about Paul saying this to the, to the elders there that were from Ephesus that had come to meet him. I'm innocent of the blood of all men because I have not shunned to declare the whole thing. I told you, I preached the gospel, and so I'm innocent. And he's probably referring to the watchman in Ezekiel. I'm going to read that to you. This is Ezekiel 33, 1 through 6. We've talked about this before. Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the children of your people and say to them, When I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman, when he sees the sword coming upon the land, if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself, but he who takes warning will save his life. But if the watchman sees a sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. God is saying this. Blow the trumpet when trouble comes, and if they don't listen, it's on them. It's on them. But if you don't blow the trumpet when trouble comes, it's on you. It's on you. Now listen, trouble is coming for your friends, for your family, for your coworkers, for the other people in your community, for the people you see on the street every day, for the people you interact with every day. Trouble is coming for them if they don't know Jesus. The sword is coming. Trouble is coming. Okay? Death is coming. Now imagine that each one of you in this room, each one of you listening online, every follower of Christ, imagine that there's a city full of people that God has put in your life, and you're the watchman in that city. You're the watchman. You're on the wall. You know the trouble's coming. I just told you about it, and you already know that. That's why you came to Jesus yourself. And here you are on the wall, and you know that trouble is coming. And there's the people in the city are the people God has put in your life. Are you going to blow the trumpet? Or not. Because if you tell them and they choose not to believe, that's not on you. That's on them. 
But if you don't tell them, that's on you because the Lord has commanded you to do so. Listen, this is serious. We have to stop saying that we love people if we don't care enough about the fact that they're going to hell to say something to them about Jesus. We just can't. You would push someone out of the way of an oncoming bus without thinking twice about the fact that they might think it was rude that you pushed them, right? Because the bus that's coming is a much bigger deal, and this is a way bigger deal. This is eternity. This is eternity. Evangelism is not optional for the Christ follower. If you're a disciple, you're a worshiper. God is the most important thing. You're a servant. You're completely submitted to God. Right? You're a worshiper and you're a servant. How could you not do what he's called you to do? How could you not do? You got to be a witness then, right? If you're a worshiper and a servant, you got to be a witness. That's what a disciple is. This is very convicting for me because I have often, so often, ignored those faces, those people around me who are dead in their sins. So often, I've not spoken the truth because it was inconvenient for me. I've walked by. I've moved on. I've put my card in the thing, bought my stuff, when I could have said, hey, I can see your little bummed out today. There's nobody behind me in line. I have a couple minutes to talk to you. I don't. Maybe even the Holy Spirit's prodding me a little bit. And it's like, no, Holy Spirit, I really, I got other things to do. I'm going to be responsible for not speaking what I've been called to speak, but I don't want another opportunity to go by for me where I don't speak, where I show so little love that I don't care that someone's going to hell. I don't want that to be me. I don't want it to be you. So let's talk about how. Let's talk about how. How do we evangelize? How do we share and preach the gospel? How do we make disciples? One objection that I understand um, from a lot of believers is this one. It says, I don't know anyone who's not already a Christian. Basically, all my friends now are my friends in the church. I don't have any friends outside the church. I don't have anybody to preach the gospel to. So, here's the deal. If that's truly the only thing standing in your way, this is going to be easy for you. This is going to be easy because here's the thing. There's no exception in the Great Commission for not knowing people who need Jesus. The only exception in the Great Commission is when everybody already knows Jesus. When that happens, you're good. Until then, he didn't say, go and make disciples unless you do not know anyone who needs to be saved. He didn't say that. He just said, go and make disciples until they're all saved. They're not all saved. They're not all saved. He said, go. That means you have to make an effort to get up, go out, and meet people. But I'm an introvert. Yeah, I don't like it either. <laughs> I'm not into it either. I'd rather just go, do my thing, and get. In the South, you talk to everybody all the time. In Tennessee, I was considered so rude, even ruder than they consider me here. Okay? It was just like, I mean, if you were not willing to just chat it up, with everybody, I'm talking about everybody, then you were just considered to be sober. I had my buddy uh, from Tennessee, 
come out here one summer for a week. And he made more friends than I've made in my entire life in three days. I mean, we're at the gas station. I'm like, what are you? Who, who, is it? who are these people that you're talking? Everybody, okay? That's just how they are. That's not me. I'm not that guy. Guess what? It doesn't matter that I'm not that guy. If it was easy, he wouldn't have had to command us. If it was what you already wanted to do, he wouldn't have had to command you. It's not easy. It's hard. But you got to do it. No exceptions. No exceptions. you got to go. Go to Starbucks, go to the gas station, go to a restaurant, go to the grocery store, and actually talk to people. Meet people. Meet your neighbors. Go meet your neighbors. You know your neighbors? I don't know your neighbors or mine. Talk to your coworkers. There are people in your life that need Jesus. I know that for some of us, most of our friendships are here in this building. That's great. That's awesome. You should have strong friendships here, but you got to go. You got to go. You got to evangelize. You see tons of people every day. And if you don't see tons of people every day, then get up and go. I mean, don't be weird, but go, okay? What about the excuse that it's awkward? It's awkward. Let me read you a couple verses, okay? Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Luke 12.8, also I say to you, whoever confesses me before men, him the Son of Man also will confess before the angels of God. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Look, I know there are people who have gone out and done evangelism poorly and made things awkward. Okay? I know there are people that are weird, have done weird things with evangelism and made things awkward. Well, where's your trust? Is your trust in God? That he called you to speak his truth to others? That he's going to do what needs to be done? That Who cares if it's awkward or not, if you've been called to do it? You've been called to do it. Remember, our witness is empowered by the Holy Spirit. The disciples, okay? The disciples, they were with Jesus for his ministry. They saw him rise from the dead, okay? They were eyewitnesses to the resurrection. They had Jesus with them all that time. And even they, in order to be effective witnesses, needed to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Remember the verse that I read earlier, Acts 1.8? But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Why do they need that? Because even they needed the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. If you're a believer and a follower of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. He'll give you the power to do the things that Jesus has called you to do. Trust that. Awkward or not. We know that the Holy Spirit will give us the words that we need at the right time. We know that he will. We have another example of that. Jesus says this. Now, when they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, this is Luke 12, 11 through 12, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. If the Holy Spirit will give you when you're in front of the, the people who are persecuting you the words that you need to say, certainly he'll give you what you need to say with your friends and your family. He'll give you the words you need. Look, the words... Your words are not important. God will give you the words to evangelize if he's called you to do it. So here's what's important here. Start with prayer, okay? Start with prayer. This is your prayer. Pray that God will give you a true love for other people. 
who he will put in your life. Pray that the Holy Spirit will prompt you, that the Holy Spirit will prompt you when the moment is right to speak to, the, to others and begin relationships. Ask him to be showing you that. Ask him first for the love. Just give me a love for the people in my life, for the people I'm going to run into. Just give me an intense love for those who you love, Jesus, who right now have not heard what they need to hear to turn to you. Give me that love and then prompt me in the right moments. Prompt me in the right moments. you got to be all things to all people to be a good evangelist. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23, it says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all. That's what a disciple is, right? That I might win the more. And to the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be a partaker of it with you. Look, this is what Paul's saying. You need to be relevant, okay? It's going to be a lot less awkward if you're relevant. And here's the thing with being relevant. If you love someone, okay? If you love someone, if you're, uh, you have a girlfriend, boyfriend, um, or a wife, or a husband, hopefully not at the same time um, that you would have a girlfriend and a wife. Um, but if you love someone, you want to communicate with them, you'll learn, you'll learn to make your communication relevant to them in love so that they understand what you're saying, so that you're not always missing each other, right? You have to be relevant. You got to know them well enough. You got to understand them and what they need well enough to be relevant. You can't just hit everybody with the same thing. You got to be relevant. This doesn't mean you become exactly like the people. Hear me very carefully. This is not meaning you become exactly like the people who don't follow Christ. I don't want anybody coming in here next week and saying, Pastor David, I, went, I got hammered last night with my buddies so I could be relevant. Okay? That's not relevant. That's stupid. Okay? That's not what relevant means. Relevant doesn't mean that you become exactly like them. Why would anyone want to become a disciple of Christ if becoming a disciple of Christ looks exactly like what their life already looks like? They already know how to be like themselves. That's not working out. That's why they need the gospel. You're not there to be a poser, to, to try to be exactly like the person. That's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, I will know and understand these people. I will, I will go to where they are, meet them where they are with the gospel. The point is this. We've got to love others. We've got to speak the truth in a way that's relevant to them. As you're evangelizing, you've got to speak the truth in a way that's relevant. What do you have to do in order to speak the truth in a way that's relevant? You've got to know people. You've got to get to know them. You can't speak the truth in a way that's relevant until you've gotten to know somebody. You've got to actually love them. That's why we're praying to love them first. And for the opportunities, the opportunities don't look like you going to me like, do you know that you need to know Jesus to be saved? And they'll be like, okay, here's your candy, please go. That's, that's not the way you do it. You've got to know somebody in order to be relevant. Okay, this means that you have to actually put the time into building relationships. Here's the nice thing for us. We got nothing to sell. We're not selling anything, right? We're not trying to sell to anybody. We just want to see people have the forgiveness and the peace and the grace in their lives that we have as Christ followers. That's it. We don't want something from anybody. And that's really nice because I can tell you this. Being on the other side of a sales pitch almost never feels loving. I almost never feel loved by somebody who's given me a hard sell. Evangelism is not a hard sell. 
You're not going in. This is not something that you're notching up how many people you got saved. Because if you saved them, they're not saved. Only Jesus saves, okay? That's, that's not what evangelism is about. It's not about selling anything. It's about sharing what Christ has done, who he is, and letting him do the work. See, you're not responsible for the results. Remember, the watchmen, if they don't listen, that's on them. God will take care of that. You're just responsible to love people. And part of loving them means you evangelize to them and make disciples for Christ. Another thing that I have said myself and heard others say is that we evangelize by the way that we act. If we live a good life, right, we live a good life, we do the right things, other people will be attracted to that, and they'll just be lining up, coming to me, and saying, what makes you so different? And then I'll be able to just preach the gospel to them. Now, if that worked all the time, and that was always true, that would be awesome. But in my experience, it's not. It's not always true. Now, I agree that you should live beyond reproach, and I agree that that is a witness, that your lifestyle is a witness. Absolutely agree with those things, okay? And it's a form of preaching the gospel in the sense that you're living out something, and you should do that. You should do that. But it's not the main way to make disciples. When Paul um, is, is out there, he's not just living a good life. He is living a good life. And he's mentioning that, hey, I've lived this good life among you, right? It is a witness. But he preached the gospel. He spoke the words. He preached the gospel, the good news of salvation. This is what he says, 1 Corinthians 9, 16. Holy Spirit through Paul. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe to me. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Paul had to preach it both in word and in deed. In word and in action. That's what he had to do. We cannot rely on either one without the other. So please don't say that my only evangelism is going to be living this life that's good and hoping that other people come to me because that's not what you're called to do. That's, that's not the only way to make disciples. It's part of it. Now listen, live that life. And it is a witness so that when you speak the words, they'll be listened to. But don't put it on the other person to somehow come find you and ask you why you happen to live such a great life. You're to preach the gospel. You're to preach the gospel. And here's the thing. Here's an action Here's an action that will show that you're a disciple right here with the people who are right here with you. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's nothing more powerful than to see that the church loves one another. Listen to what it says in John 13, 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. If we do our part and go, God will make us bear fruit. John 15, 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Bear fruit by evangelism. Go out and do it, and you will bear fruit. You'll plant, you'll water, you'll harvest, and you'll see the increase that God will bring to his kingdom. And what a glorious thing it is to see somebody come to know Jesus. Acts 13, 47. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. That's us, the church. We're the church. We're Christ's church. We're supposed to be a light. We're supposed to be a light. We can't hide, hide it under a bush. Oh, no. Right? No bushels. You're a light. You're a light to the world. If, if, you're, not, if you're not being a light, who is going to be a light? What are they going to do if they don't hear? They're going to turn if they don't hear. Go. 
Get to know other people. Ask God to give you an intense love for this community, for the people in your life that don't know him. Build relationships and listen to others. Hear their needs. Hear where they are and respond with a hope and peace and grace found in the gospel. That's how you're going to be relevant. An article by a guy named Jonathan Dodson, he mentions this quote by um, Francis Schaeffer. He says, when Francis Schaeffer was asked how he would spend an hour with a non-Christian, he said, I would listen for 55 minutes, and then in the last five minutes, I would have something to say. See, because you got to know the other person and love the other person, not go with some sales pitch. Listen, learn, love, and respond. Listen, learn, love, and respond. The Lord used someone, someone to work in when he was drawing you to himself. You can be that someone to someone else. No, let me say it differently. You must be that someone to someone else. You're called to be that someone to someone else. And it's time. You have been given a command and the jurisdiction to carry out that command. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit to do the work of the Great Commission. Remember this, Romans 5a. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why? It's amazing. Now, because of God's love for you and his son, Jesus Christ, love your neighbor as yourself and evangelize and make disciples. Not optional. Make disciples. We're loved by God. Let's love our neighbor. All right, let's pray. Well, thanks for listening to our sermon. Again, this has been a sermon from Axe Church in Camas, Washington. We hope you enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. If you did, you can subscribe to our channel as well as liking and commenting. We love to hear how these sermons are impacting you. You can also take a look at our podcast series that we have out. And we'll catch you again next week.